Our scripture this morning is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, um, the story of Cain and Abel. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. <clears throat> and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, I should probably say a word about why we chose such a sobering passage this morning, particularly with all these visitors here. Uh, you know, and it's part of a series that we're doing in the book of Genesis. And uh, last week we considered uh, Adam and Eve's sin in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And so this week we're in Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel. Anger is one of the most powerful and sometimes one of the scariest of human emotions. And it's one of the earliest that's recorded in Scripture, as it, it appeared in Genesis chapter 4, our passage for today. There are a few statistics about anger that reinforce our understanding of its dangers. <clears throat> about 9% of, uh, of U.S. adults have anger issues and are prone to violence at some point. If you couple this with the prevalence of guns and a short fuse, that can quickly escalate to a gun death. About one in five have experienced an anger problem at some point in their life or had difficulty controlling their anger. It's not uncommon. Anger is considered a primary cause of road accidents with aggressive driving contributing to two-thirds of auto accidents. Angry outbursts are dangerous for our health. They increase our risk of heart attack or stroke fivefold within two hours of an angry outburst. I want to propose that the emotion of anger 
in itself is not sin. Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. But it poses both a great danger and a great opportunity for us, depending on our response. And we see that in this story of Cain and Abel. The story begins east of Eden. After the sad story of Adam and Eve's sin and its consequences, as well as God's provision of skins to clothe them, uh, we in this chapter, it begins on a word of on a note of hope, Adam and Eve make love. Eve gets pregnant, and she gives birth to a son. She proclaims, with God's help, I've brought forth a man. And the words brought forth translate the Hebrew Cana, which sounds a lot like Cain's name. Later, she has a second son, Abel. And his name means something like son. (laughs) So they weren't very original at this point. Uh, But anyhow, you have two brothers. You have Cain, the firstborn, the older brother. He's really the first ever born in Scripture. And then Abel, the younger brother. They pursued different kinds of work. Cain is a farmer. Abel, a herder of sheep. Scripture often records bad blood between sons also often records bad blood between farmers and and ranchers or shepherds. That seems to run through too. Well, anyhow, you you can think of Jacob and Esau. Uh, You can think of Isaac and Ishmael. You can think of Joseph and Benjamin versus their older brothers. David and his older brothers. The prodigal in the New Testament and his older brother. It's interesting how often the younger brother seems to be singled out for some kind of special favor. That could be a sermon in itself, perhaps. We have have, um, some of this tension in this story. Cain actually initiates the idea of an offering, probably what was known as an homage offering of, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever, which could be of either grain or an animal. So the problem here is not with the offering itself or or what they bring, fruit versus animal. Uh, Now, some make a distinction between the phrases, Cain brought some of the fruit, and if you you notice some of that even in our songs, Cain brought some of the fruit versus Abel bringing the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. It's striking that Cain is the firstborn but Abel brings the fat and the firstborn of the flock, and not just some. Now, commentators aren't sure about this, and they focus more on the character, not of the offering, but of the offerer. And I think that's actually a lot of what's going on here. You know, that uh, both bring an offering, one's accepted, one's not. The passage doesn't really tell us explicitly why, uh, although it seems that in God's instruction, to do what is right, it's clear that Cain knows why his offering wasn't accepted. I suspect it has to do, and Hebrews hints at this, you know, that Abel offered the firstborn in faith. Uh, and Cain's offering apparently wasn't in some ways in faith. There was a less than wholehearted offering to God that trusted and, and loved the Lord. Uh, it was just perfunctory worship, perhaps, for Cain. Maybe it was superstition. You know, we, we, should, we should give God some kind of offering. 
we have a harvest or when we have a good, you know, a good growth, good fruit of our herds or our, our, our grains. Whatever it was, it seemed that Cain was doing this out of a very different and just, I, I got to do this motive, versus Abel saying, I want to love the Lord. We see that, notice how Cain takes it when, when God tells him um, that, you know, when God doesn't accept his worship. Uh, we, we see how Cain takes this. He, it's even in his face. He's downcast. He's dejected. He's very angry. And I wonder if he's thinking, Abel is even God's favorite. You know, you wonder if there was some tension between the two brothers. And the thing was, this whole offering thing was his idea. And Abel gets all the credit. Didn't God even notice and give him some credit? Notice how God approaches him. Just as he did with Adam and Eve, he comes with questions before he makes statements. He asks, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? You could probably see it all over his face uh, that he was having a problem that uh, Cain may be trying to hide it, but he wasn't very good at that. I think there probably ought to be ellipses after God's questions. You know, to allow some time, dot, 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 you know, uh, for silence. Cain is, um, Cain is giving God the silent treatment. And so, finally, God speaks up again. And God lets Cain know that he has a choice about what he will do with his anger. And this is important. Uh, once I was doing a workshop at Ohio State with uh, uh, resident assistants, and uh, they, we were talking about interfaith dialogue, and they said, what happens, what do I do when somebody says something offensive to me? And they were surprised that I, when I told them that nobody could offend them unless they chose to be offended and act offended. Nobody could actually offend them unless they chose to be offended or act offended. They could be, they had other choices. They could be curious. They could wonder why this person communicated as they did. They could wonder why this person believed as they did. Even if they felt offended, they had choices about how they could respond. Anger just is. But we have question, the question is what will we do with our anger? How will we respond? And we have choices. You know, it's not like somebody made me do this. I have choices about how I respond when I'm angry. Cain had a choice. He apparently knew what he could do to do right. And what's wonderful in this passage that I think gets overlooked sometimes is that God wants him to do what's right. God isn't this ogre or this demanding parent, God wants to accept him. God wants to respond to him in the same way he responded to Abel, that he wants two sons who love him, not just one. Cain's on the knife edge of opportunity and danger, and that's true of anger. Anger understood and addressed often, often leads to healing. God wants Cain to own his anger. Maybe to even say it out loud. To say, 
I was angry that you didn't accept me. I was angry and jealous of my brother. What do I do about that, God? God's words offer grace. God's saying, I want to accept you as well. Just come and worship wholeheartedly. Worship me with all your heart. Cain is silent. And so God warns him of the danger side of the knife edge that he's on. He says it's like a predatory animal that wants to come and take over your life or devour you. When anger is allowed to fester rather than be based, it can take over our hearts and our ears, making us deaf and insensitive to God and to others. Again, God's warning Cain that he has a choice. He can rule over anger or let anger rule over him. Sadly, Cain allows anger to rule. He's heedless of God. He deliberately conspires to lure his brother to an isolated place where he attacks and he kills him. You can see that he planned this. Again, God approaches Cain with a question. Where is your brother? This time, Cain answers him. I can hear the frustration in his voice. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Perhaps he's thinking back to childhood and all the times as an older brother that he was his brother's keeper. You know how that works, right? In families. Uh, that's what older brothers do. He was his brother's keeper. Except he wasn't. He wasn't his brother's keeper. And God asks another question. What have you done? And there's silence. Now God knows what he's done, as his next words reveal. But he's wanting to give Cain a chance to come clean. To, say, to, to acknowledge this terrible thing that has happened. Where he's let anger get out of control. Then God says that Abel's blood cries out to God from the ground. And we ought to stop for a minute with those words. That's what it is for anyone who dies from gun violence. The people that died this weekend in Columbus, their blood is crying out to God. So it is for the political prisoners who have been put to death in various countries. So it is for the blacks throughout our history who were lynched. So it is for the genocides of Jews and Cambodians, Kosovars and Rwandans. We might become insensitive to this, but God is not. God hears the cries and death of each one. He cares. He knows. God ultimately will set things right. And yet God does not avenge Abel's blood with that of Cain. That's, that's a big question in this passage. I wonder, was it out of love for Adam and Eve who've already lost one son that God doesn't take the other? Or was it that God spared the firstborn child 
because of what his own son, the firstborn over all creation, would do. We're in the face of mystery here as we see God's severe mercy to Cain in not taking his life. It's severe because the ground that Cain farmed that had been so fruitful would be so no longer. It's often the case that what we call judgment is often simply in line with the sin itself. It follows from the sin. And that's the case here. The fields where Cain had sowed death will no longer bring forth life. Forsaking his loyalty to his kin, his brother, and his family, he will become a, mo a nomad, wandering the earth away from them, a fugitive, far from home and far from God. And it's this that finally opens Cain up to God. Finally, he begins, he, he, he understands the weight of his, the weight of, the, of what he has done. He laments that his punishment is more than he can bear. Some even think that the word should be translated iniquity. My sin is more than I can bear. Whether all of this is from remorse or just plain fear, we're not quite sure. Uh, but uh, he realizes he's being driven from the source of his livelihood. He's being driven from the protection of his family. And even more, he fears from the protection of God. Known as a killer and a fugitive, he, he recognizes that he could be marked out for death, maybe a, a, a death to avenge the death of Abel. And as one alone, he realizes, I'm vulnerable. I, don't have, I won't have those around me to protect me. Once more, we see God showing mercy here. Uh, and God puts a mark on Cain of protection. We have no clue what that mark was. People have speculated all kinds of things. But it's clear that he's under the mark of God's protection. God's saying, do not touch this one who I have marked out. And if you touch him, seven times will come back to you. It's interesting that we learn in the verses that we didn't read today that Cain goes on to establish the first city of which we have a record in Scripture. His, his descendants raised livestock. They were musicians. They were toolmakers. The first technologists. There were no farmers among them listed. Uh, Cain does not end up on the ash heap of history, but is one who also fulfills the call to be fruitful and fill the earth as one in God's image. God, there's a severe kind of mercy and grace that's shown here. What Cain's relationship with God is after this, we don't know. Um, we do know that God is a God who wanted to accept him. We do know that uh, from this passage. So bringing it home, there's a few things that we can draw from this message. One is actually a warning about worship. You know, if we worship God less than wholeheartedly or for less motives, we make room for sin to creep into our lives. And we see it sometimes in terms of self-promotion. We see it sometimes in terms of grief. A church that I was once a part of recently suffered the embezzlement of, a, of nearly $40,000 of funds that were given uh, by somebody who was a trusted person within the church. Um, 
or we might see the abuse of others. Uh, uh, and sadly, that's happened far too often in churches where under the guise of religion, people have been abused emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever. Uh, worship can be twisted in all kinds of ways. And we ought to be watchful in ourselves and watchful in the church for those things. Uh, and to ask the Lord to help us to come Sunday by Sunday wholeheartedly, bringing ourselves, our offerings, all of what we do in this place uh, out of love for Him. But perhaps the main word in this passage is to understand the opportunity and danger of anger. Anger is a signal to us that something is not right in our relationship with God, with others, and with our, or with ourselves. We ought to learn that when we that anger is anger in itself is not sin. It's an emotion, but it tells us that something's not right, and it tells us we're at a place of danger and opportunity. The danger is to let anger become sin and master us. And one of my concerns is how we have accepted in our culture the feeding of anger by our media, how we've become just so exposed and allowed ourselves to feed on media that encourages us to live in a state of outrage. It makes money for them. Social media, there's been testimony that's showing that social media feeds, loves to feed outrage because that gets clicks and likes. You know, that's what feeds, uh, that's what feeds the beast. Dylan Roof was a troubled teenager whose web searches took him down a dark hole, the dark hole of white supremacism. It, these sites took anger against others and focused it on black people and nurtured a hatred for them and a decision to start trying to eliminate them that led him to go to a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, join a Bible study that extended hospitality to him and, and toward the end of it to kill nine people in that group, including the pastor. Now, most of us will never take anger that far. But I've seen outrage alienate friends and families. I've seen people wound each other with the things that they say online. We can kill with words as well as weapons. I've seen... You know, and the question is, are you allowing anger? Uh, am I allowing anger to fester in any place in my life, crouching at the door in a way that can consume me and hurt others? But finally, there's hope in an angry and violent world. There's a God who both cares about justice and yet doesn't give us all we deserve. But even in severe mercy, gives what we don't deserve. God wants to be the place where we take our anger, even if it's anger with him. Have you ever told God, have you ever been angry with God? Have you told him? God can handle it. I, I, I'll just tell you that. God can handle your greatest anger. And God isn't the one who comes with inspiring quotes, but rather he comes with searching questions. He gives us a chance to open ourselves and face ourselves and understand ourselves and to bring our broken selves to him for healing and restoration. 
even a cane was not too far from God's mercy. It may be that the key question for you and I to open the door in our lives to God's mercy this week is to sit with the question God asked Cain. Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Maybe starting with where are you angry and then why are you angry? And to take that anger to God who's both ready to accept us and to show us what is right. Amen.